How many of y'all have already had an amazing time at church this morning? Yeah. Man, I'm telling you what. If, if, if you're not excited, you're dead. Seriously. You don't have a pulse. We need to call the ER immediately. Oh, my gosh. Amazing. Let's just give it up one more time for God. Man, I'm, I am so excited to be out here. There's, God is, doing, is just doing so many wonderful, amazing things right now. Let me tell you something that happened last week that you may not have known about. Um, you know, we normally uh, try to plan on high attendance Sundays, having a lot of people here, have a lot of first-time guests around Christmas, around Easter. Last Sunday, we had 660 people here. And that is amazing. Amazing. And I just want to say... Thank you very much. Let me tell you, we don't, we actually don't go to people's houses on Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night, Saturday morning. We just don't do that because we realize a lot of people just don't like that. I tell you, so what we, what we do, what we rely on you, we rely on you to invest in people's lives who normally don't go to church and then invite them either to church or invite them to hear your story, invite them and you talk about Jesus. But really, it's you guys. And I just want to say thank you so much. What makes this a great church is number one, Jesus Christ, and number two, you guys. So I want to say thank you very, very much. Um, my name's Chris. I'm one of the pastors here. And we're in number four of five ways to wreck your life. And I'm so stoked to kind of talk about this today because the first week we talked about one way to wreck your life is just to, you know, devote your entire life to pleasure. Go to parties, do drugs, all that stuff. And you expect a preacher to say that, right? I mean, don't do that, right? Well, second week, you didn't expect me to say what I was going to say because we talked about the second week that you can, if you're so success oriented, you can wreck your life. In fact, some of you, you know what this feels like because you grew up in a family where both the mom and dad worked all the time and they didn't really pour into each other and they didn't really pour into you and the, the marriage died and then you went through a painful divorce and you saw them climb the ladder of success but they really didn't include one another or really include you. And you vowed when you grew up and when you had a relationship and you got married, that that wouldn't happen to you. So we talked about how many times we can make success such our focus that we can just wig ourselves out and we just totally lose it and we forget what's really important. <clears throat> Last week we talked about how if you want another way to wreck your life is just do life alone. Just, I mean, not connect with people, not develop good friendships, I mean, we talked a lot about that. In fact, this is a verse God's just laying on my heart, but it's Proverbs thirteen twenty: He who walks with the wise will become wise, but a companion of fools will suffer harm. And some of you, you know how that is because not only maybe you've not connected with some people, but you've connected maybe with some of the wrong people. Y'all know who I'm talking about, don't you? Right? <clears throat> and it's kind of led you down a wrong path, and you kind of feel foolish. And I've been there. Today, we're talking about something that you are going to love. And I'm being facetious. <clears throat> because, in fact, by the way, we have people locking the doors right now. <laughs> Today, I'm talking about one of the things that I hate talking about most of all. We're talking about money. And the reason why I hate talking about this is the reason why many people don't go to church is because they think church is boring the, the sermons are irrelevant, and all they want is my. 
And I mean, I don't I ever, and I'm just going to say, if you're a first-time guest here, we don't want you to put a nickel in the offering plate at all. We want you to give your heart to Jesus Christ. So now if you're a Christ follower, you've been here longer, I want you to pucker up, all right, because we're going to have a great time, all right? <laughs> so I'm going to share, I'm just going to be real with you. I'm going to share some of my issues that I've had in my own personal life. And you don't have to share with me your issues, but I'm going to at least be honest enough and be transparent enough to say that I'm not perfect in this area as well. So we're going to have a good time talking about this. And before we do this, I just want to read a letter. One of the things that we do here at One Church is when you guys put money in the offering bucket, we take money out of the offering bucket and we give it back to ministries. We give it back to local ministries, but we also give it back to ministries who are overseas to do missions work. And this month, the month of January, we're focusing on the Hope Pregnancy Center. And uh, we give a portion of all of the offerings back to them. And what's so crazy is they're giving some of it back. Listen to this. Dear friends, sometimes people are surprised to learn that Hope Pregnancy Center has a line item in our budget called gifts to other ministries. We rely on the generosity of God's people to meet the needs of this ministry and those we serve. We think that it's important that we also excel in the grace of giving as a means of honoring God, our provider. Usually we give to other pregnancy centers in that option line or other organizations that develop pregnancy centers in other parts of the world. Last summer, we decided that we're going to make a small offering on behalf of the center to each church in which has the opportunity to highlight the ministry of hope during a Sunday morning service. One church is the first where three of our staff have gotten that opportunity on three consecutive Sundays. And we're honored to worship the Lord by making this very small investment in the work that he's doing in and through our friends at One Church. Isn't that cool? So many times, you know, when you choose to honor God and you give away, you don't even expect something to show up. But many times it does. So that's what I want to talk about today. You know, I hate talking about this, but one of the things that God has just really laid on my heart a long time ago, you know, Jesus talked more about money in the Bible than he did about salvation, sin, praying, heaven, hell, any of that stuff. And how many times, just as Solomon tried taking pleasure and relationships and all this stuff to to try to figure out the meaning of life, we can take all of this stuff, and money can be one of those things where we think if I could just have enough, if I could just make a little bit more, get a little bit more, get this, purchase that, that we think we can put a square peg in a round hole, and it just doesn't happen. We just can't do that. So I want to talk today, looking at the book of Ecclesiastes. Now, that's a hard book to find. It's even a harder book to spell. I'm not going to, no spelling bees today. But if you will open up the beginning of your Bible, actually the middle of your Bible, and it's going to be around Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes is where we're going to be at today. And the guy who wrote this, his name is Solomon, the wisest guy who ever lived. And he's being real honest, real vulnerable, because he's wrecked his life. And he's wrote a journal that you and I are kind of peering into. And he's saying, don't do this. Don't follow me here. Don't do this. I've screwed up here. And that's what we're going to be looking at today, Ecclesiastes chapter 5, starting at verse 10. And by the way, you can look at this on version; it'll be on the screen, or we give away Bibles for free here. Ecclesiastes Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 10. This is what it says. Those who love money will never have, what's the next word? Enough. How absurd to think that wealth brings true happiness. Now, we're going to learn five different points about money today in Ecclesiastes chapter 5. And the first one is this. The more we have, the more we want. Isn't that true? 
I mean, I don't know about you, but many times we want something and then we get it. And what do we want more? We want it more. In fact, let's look at this again. Ecclesiastes 5.10. Those who, what does it say? Love money. And that's where I want to, I want to really begin there. Because many times we think this. How many of y'all have ever heard the verse in the Bible that money is the root of all evil? Anyone? Okay. Let me, let me give you a couple of other verses. Um, there's the verse that says, God helps those who help themselves, right? We've all heard that one, right? Or birds of a feather flock together. Now, by the way, none of those are in the Bible. Did you know that? In fact, they're in second opinions. Some of you are going, I don't know that book. Because I just made it up, okay? Let me tell you, the, the, the verse that I just said, that money is the root of all evil, it's not in there. In fact, we kind of get this from 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10. And this is what it says. It says, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving, everybody say craving. How many of y'all craving some lunch right now? You want to be, I, some of you going, you better be quick, preacher. I'm hungry. There's a rumbling in my tumbling. Uh, and some people craving money have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with so many sorrows. He's not, he's not saying this. He's not saying to have money is to be bad. In fact, some, some people, they'll think if you have money, if you're rich, then you're bad. God has never, ever said that in the Bible. In fact, one of the things in the Old Testament, one of these principles, that if you honor God, God would bless you because God is the one who gives all of our blessings. And money is a blessing. So it's a huge thing here. I want to, if, if you have money, you shouldn't feel bad. The problem is you not having money. The problem is when money has you. You see, that's what he's getting at. He's saying, if you make you, the, the desire of your life, the, the focus, the pers- if you're obsessed with getting money, if that's all you think about, if, if that's what drives you, then you will wreck your life. Just like Solomon did. Let me give you, Solomon reigned for over 40 years. And his name, Solomon, means peace. Y'all heard of the word shalom? Okay, that's a Hebrew word, peace. It's the exact same word for Solomon. So during the 40 years he reigned, there was peace in Israel. He he earned 25 tons of gold a year. Tons. Did I say tons? 25 tons of gold a year. And look at this, including revenue from all the merchants and traders from all these Arabian kings. In fact, 1 Kings 10 says that Solomon made silver as common in Jerusalem during his lifetime than just mere stones. Can you imagine that? You got that? Just a piece of silver. Just throw it out. That's a mess. (laughs) Nobody wants that mess, right? I mean, that's crazy, right? He He was so affluent. But you know what? The thing that Solomon learned at the end of his life, he kept on wanting more and more and more. And he realized that he loved money. And let me tell you, this is not about what you, so much. It's not about money. It's about what you love. You know, all of us are going to worship something. See, some of y'all, y'all did really good job worshiping. Our, our nine o'clock crowd, they did a great job worshiping this morning. It's easy to worship God in here. Did you know that? The question I want to ask you is, what are you worshiping tomorrow at 9 o'clock? What are you worshiping Tuesday at 11 o'clock? Because all of us will worship something all through the week. What are you devoting all of your life and all of your time to? This is not so much about money being bad. The question God is asking is, what are you worshiping? Is it money? Or is it Jesus Christ? That's what he's really getting down to. Isn't it amazing that money 
You can buy a lot of things with money. You can't buy love. The Beatles taught us that. Another thing you can't buy with money is contentment. Isn't that right? How we can have so much stuff and not be happy with what we got. I mean, we see this in our children all the time. In fact, we scold them for it. We, we just had Christmas and we gave them gifts. And now what do they want? They want more stuff. That's exactly right. And we go, man, our kids are such idiots. All the while, what are we wanting? By the way, I just heard this week that the iPad 3 is going to be released in February. And I, I heard that and I went, Really? And this is why, and this is pretty much the same day that I'm telling boys, I got three boys, y'all pray for me. Boys, stop wanting more. I just told them that, and God's like, you idiot, right? I felt like it was a Napoleon Dynamite moment. I'm like, come on. Because I tell them something, and I see deficiencies in my own life. And on my own heart. And maybe you do. It's like slot machines. And I'm not asking you if you've played a slot machine, but you've all seen one. Somebody will get the quarters and you'll put the slot machine and they'll pull it down. They'll pull it down. They'll get, they'll get the money. And then what do they do with the jackpot? Right? And that's many times what we want. Let me show you one of the most misquoted verses of the Bible. Paul wrote the book of Philippians, and he wrote this while he was in jail. He wrote this when he was hungry, he was cold, and he had nothing. And look at what it says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 11. It says this, I have learned how to be, what's that next word? Content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it's with a full stomach or an empty, or with plenty of or with little. Now here's the next verse that so many of us take out of context when we want to win a football game. For I can do, and some of your verses say all things. Everybody say all. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. You know what that's talking about? It's not talking about Tim Tebow. Alright? It's not talking. It's talking, and hear me, Tim Tebow's a great dude. You know what that's talking about? That's talking about us trying to find contentment. And see, we want to say, yeah, I can do it. We can win it. I can. But God's saying, okay, okay let's, let's bring this back a little bit. Can you be content with me? And you see, money does not give us contentment, which brings me to my next point. The more we have, the more we want to spend. The more we have, the more we want to spend. Verse 11, Ecclesiastes chapter 5. The more you have, the more people come to help you spend it. Isn't that right? Isn't that right? So what is the advantage of wealth? Except perhaps to watch it run through your fingers. See, some of y'all are going, that's true. And you're thinking, that's in the Bible. Y'all should read the Bible. It's, it's amazing. All right? I mean, the big promotion comes through, right? And you get the raise. And you got two options. All right? First option is... You know what, honey? Let's just live on what we've been living on and let's save it. That's one option. Second option, let's go crazy. Let's go buy some new furniture, maybe buy a new set of wheels. Oh, my gosh. Now, here's the question. Which one do we do? A or? That's right. We do this. And there's a principle here. We spend whatever we get. That's just it. 
I mean, you got a raise last year, it's already spent. Already spent. If you're the average American, you live on 104% of your income. Now, some of y'all are going, that don't compute. Y'all know, how many of y'all know exactly what I'm talking about? How many of y'all have, I'm not saying now, all right? I'm not, I'm not your preacher. You got to confess to me. How many of y'all have ever had too much month at the end of your money? Anybody besides me? You know what I'm saying? You're like, when am I going to get paid again? Oh my gosh. All right. That's what he's talking about here. Whatever you have, you will spend. In fact, look at this up on the screen. This is so true. It says this, the more you have, the more you want. The more you want, the more you spend. The more you spend, the more you, and the more you, the more we what? And that's the next point here. The more we have, the more we worry. Look at what verse 12 says. People who work hard sleep well, whether they eat little or much, but the rich are always, what's the next word? Worrying and seldom get a good night's sleep. That is true. That is so true. I'm telling you, so many of us, and you think, well, I'm not rich. Okay, let's talk about that just for a sec. Y'all sit down. I'm sorry, you already are. Did you know that if your combined salary income, and you can do gross net, it don't matter. If your combined salary income of maybe you and your spouse are just is $47,000 or up, did you know that you make more than 99.9% of the population on planet Earth? Six billion people. The average person makes $100 a month. So if you put this in perspective, think about how many of us are rich. I would say almost all of us. Because, and when we look at it like that, we realize maybe the reason why we don't get a good night's sleep isn't because we're not sleeping on a Tempur-Pedic. But the reason why we don't get enough sleep is because we're spending so much time devoting ourselves to money and we're worried about how we're going to lose it. That, I'll never forget when my wife and I, when we moved from the Midwest to Clarksville, I was born here. And uh, we moved back to Clarksville in 2006 to start a church. And I remember it was so humbling. Me and my wife and my two kids, um, uh, we moved into my parents' basement. And we took all of our, uh, we took the cell of our house and all that stuff. We put all that stuff in boxes and we put it in storage for two years into this barn type of thing. It wasn't anything that we paid for, it was just a big barn. And uh, praise God, uh, right, the one church was launched in 2007. Uh, we, God blessed us with a, a house we bought in foreclosure. It was a fixer-upper in 2008. And we got all of that mess that's been in boxes. That, and it, we were opening it, and we're like, oh my gosh, it's like Christmas. We, did, we forgot we had this mess. And I remember my wife looking at us and said, you know what? This, just, this, is, this stuff isn't valuable. It's just stuff. How many of y'all just got some stuff? You just got mess, right? You got clutter. And I am, we have been, it's not valuable. But we worry and we spend hundreds of dollars a month putting stuff in storage and stuff that we really don't need on stuff that we worry about losing that we really, I mean, if I said, you know what, you got five minutes before your house is bulldozed and you got five minutes to go get five things out of your house, let me tell you what you wouldn't get. You wouldn't get the PS3. You wouldn't get your 60-inch plasma. You wouldn't. 
you would probably go get photographs, right? I mean, you would get stuff that you could not, it could not be replaced. So it's not that valuable. So many times people think the more stuff we have, then the more security we have. Or the more money I get, the more security I have. But it's really the inverse is true. The more money and stuff we have, the more we worry about losing it, which brings me to the fourth point. The more money we have, the more we're miserable. It says this, there is another serious problem I've seen in the world. Riches are sometimes hoarded to the harm of the saver. Let me tell you, you know what you call somebody who has money who's miserable? A miser. In fact, here's a picture of Hetty Green. Hetty Green was probably the most famous miser who ever lived. She lived in the early 1900s. And let me tell you just a little bit about Hetty Green. Her dad passed away and gave her a fairly big sum at the time, $10 million. Now, let me tell you what that is in our today's terms of money. That's about, um, let's see, about one point, I'm sorry, about $185 million in today's dollars. So $10 million back then is about $185 million today. Now, she was a very shrewd and wise investor, and she invested that money in pretty much just a couple of years. She was able to increase that $10 million to $100 million, which is about $1.5 billion in today's terms. I mean, amazing. She was mean-spirited, she was tight-fisted, and she was a miser. She lived in a cheap, drafty boarding house in Brooklyn where she sat all day clipping coupons. How many of y'all, tell the truth, shame the devil, you watch those couponing shows, the extreme couponing? Dear Jesus, I kid you not, if I go into Walmart and you're one of those types of people and I got to be behind you in line, I will lose my religion. I'm just telling you. This woman has got more money she could spend, and she's clipping coupons, all right? Now, I mean, and she, she, was, she refused to give any of the money away, afraid that she would lose it. Hetty was selfish, bitter, she had no friends, and people avoided her like the plague. And during her lifetime, she was mean to people, even her own family. Listen to this. One time, her little boy broke his leg, and she refused to take him to the doctor to get his leg treated because she was going to have to pay the medical bills. So she devised a way of being trying to splint and kind of heal his leg on her own, and it never did heal. And two years later, she finally takes her little boy into the doctor, and she dressed him up in ragged clothes so that the doctor would maybe have, you know, be compassionate and just give her and not have to pay the medical bills. I mean, just mean-spirited. When the doctor found out who she was, she threw her boy and her out. And less than a year later, her little boy's leg had to be amputated because she didn't want to pay the medical bills. Tell you a little bit about her medical history. She had a very painful hernia that she could have gotten fixed but never did. And it would, in order to get it fixed, it would have cost her $150 for the surgery. She refused. She became paranoid, suspicious, believing kidnappers and murderers were always after her money. She lived off cold oatmeal every day because she was too stingy to heat it up. Let me tell you how she died. She was mean, had a temper. She died, she had a brain aneurysm because she was fighting with somebody about the benefits of skim milk because she didn't want to have to pay for whole. 
dear Lord. Let me tell you, she, she was nicknamed the Witch of Wall Street. And when she died, she had left $200 million. By the way, that's $3 billion in today's terms. She did not take one cent with her. Not one. And let me tell you, neither will you. You won't either. Which leads me to the next point. The more we have, the more we leave behind. Before I go to the scripture here, let me tell you what Hetty Green's kids did. They so came to despise all of that money because she loved the money more than she loved the children. That they spend the rest of their lives giving the money away, helping people in need. And they could not get... I mean, there are still buildings today that are in New York City and in, in hospitals today in New York City because of the Green Foundation. And if Hetty knew what happened to her money, she'd be rolling in a grave. But they still, I mean, her, her kids, they still have money because you can't give it all away. You just can't. That's a principle. But the more money you have, the more you leave behind. Look at verse 15 of Ecclesiastes chapter 5. People who live only for wealth come to the end of their lives as naked and empty hands. By the way, do y'all say naked or naked? That's very important distinguishing here in the South. We're going to be doing a marriage series coming up in a few months, and naked is very different than naked. I'm going to be honest with you. Just saying. <clears throat> they come to the end of their lives naked and empty-handed as the day they were born. And this, too, is a very serious problem. As people come into the world, so they depart. All their hard work is for nothing. They have been working for the wind, and everything will be swept away. Throughout their lives, they live under a cloud, frustrated, discouraged, and angry. You know what? You can't take it with you. There is no own only loan. You don't own anything permanently. You're just renting it for a while. Eventually, it has to go back into the box. There's a great book by John Ortberg that I've read. It says it all goes back into the box. I love playing Monopoly. Here's the thing about with me and Monopoly. I will win. <laughs> and I don't cheat. I've talked about that a couple of weeks. I don't cheat. But I, I will wear you down. All right? I buy everything. And here's the thing. It may take a week. But I will win. Here's the thing. After I've got all your money, and after I have all your hotels and all the properties, guess what I have to do? I have to put it back in the box. It really doesn't matter. Here's the thing. At the end of your life, you will be put in a box. And all of your mess will be sold for 25 cents at a yard sale. Because it will all be out of style. And that is what you've spent your entire life amassing. That seems a little ludicrous, does it not? Man, Jesus said it like this in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. He says, don't store up treasures here on earth where they can become eaten by moss and get rusty and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where they will never be moth-eaten or rusty and where they will be safe. From thieves. Dr. Cloud in the book, The Law of Happiness, which we have at our resource table, he says it like this. Neuroscientists recently discovered that the pleasure centers of the brain, the ones that respond to food and to sex, also light up when people think of giving to others. God has actually hooked up your brain in ways that make you feel good when you give to other people. Isn't that something? God wired you that way. In fact, when, when Christmas came around, you were so excited to give gifts to your children or to your stepchildren. 
it just, it just, you lit up. That is how God wired us. John D. Rockefeller, how many of y'all have heard of that dude? He was, at one time, he was the only billionaire living in his day. When he was 53 years old, he was the world's only billionaire. He was making a million dollars a week. That's some fashizzle, all right? But he was a sickly man who lived on crackers and milk. And he never got any sleep. He worried about his money. Eventually, he learned how to give away his money, and his health improved, and he lived as a philanthropist. He lived to 98 years old because he learned how to give away, that it's better to give than to receive. We've all heard that. So our big idea today, you remember last week's big idea. It says we have a meaningful life, a life full of meaning when we do life together with others. Remember that? This week's big idea. We live... A purpose-filled life when we give generously. And I'm not just talking about church stuff. I'm just talking about when we give to people. When we see people who are down and out on their luck. When we see somebody who's a homeless. And we say, you know what? I'm going to give. When we, yes, when we give to the church. When we, when we give to other people who can't make it on their own. Jesus said, it's better to give than to receive. We can't take it with us. But what we can do is when we put God first in our finances and when we are generous with helping other people, we can send some of it ahead. So I'm going to give you, I'm going to challenge you today as we close by giving you three things I want you to do. The first one is this. I am challenging you in 2012. I want you to look at making a budget. Now let me tell you what this is. Some of you, you hear the word budget, you're like, oh, I know that. But hear me, if you don't tell your money where to go, it's just going to go everywhere. Y'all know what I'm talking about? I mean, you have got, you've got to say, okay, we're going to do this and we're going to do this. And my wife, we ended up talking about this before 2012 hit. We're going to say, okay, we're going to do this and we're going to snowball this. And we just, you have to have a plan. I mean, y'all have heard this, if you fail to plan, you plan to, right? And that happens in our money. So you have to have a budget. The second thing I want you to do is this. And, it, and it's based upon the 10 10 80. Everybody say 10 10 80. All right. It's the 10 10 80 principle. And all of this is found in the Bible. I have 10 $1 bills. All right. What I'm asking you to do and what the Bible teaches us to do is if this is our paycheck, $10, we are to give $1 to God. We are to take $1 and put it as savings. And we are to live on the rest. We are to take 10% and give to God. We are to take 10% and save, because we don't know what tomorrow holds. And we are to live on the rest. Now, the Bible gives us this principle of 10% back to God. It's called a tithe, and that just literally means 10%. In fact, if you've ever wondered, what the, why does God even want that or ask for that? Let's look at what Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 23 says. It says this, the purpose of tithing, all right? How many of y'all have ever wondered, why do we have to? The purpose of tithing is to teach you to always put God first in your life. That's it. When you tithe and when you give back to God, you are making a huge statement of who you put your faith in. You are putting God first. You're saying, I trust you in this area of my life. 
and there's a lot of things that compete for the control of our lives. And the number one is money. The number one is money. So I would challenge you in 2012 to work on this tithing thing. Now let me show you what Malachi chapter 3 verse 10 says. And it says this. It says, bring all the tithes. Everybody say all. All the tithes. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open up the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. What's the next word? Try it. And then he says this. Put me to the... This is the one place in the Bible where God says, try me, dog. He doesn't say dog, but he says, try me. Test me. So here's what we're going to do. For the next 90 days, we're going to do the T90X, not the P90X. The T90X, and it's a 90-day tithe challenge. Now, i got to be honest with you, and this is where I'm just going to be, I'm just going to bring it down, because my wife and I, we have not been perfect in this area. For the longest time, you know, we said, okay, we're going to pay the bills, and then whatever we have left, we'll give back to God. You remember what we learned just a few minutes ago? Whatever we have, we will spend, right? You see, what God is saying is we are to give him first and then live off the rest. Because if you say, I'm going to give once things are left over, nothing will ever be left over. You know that, right? That's just a pipe dream. But, but to say, I'm going to tithe, I'm going to give 10%, that's, that's a really scary thing. Again, I'll, I'll, I'll never forget, my wife and I, we would say, you know what? And this was in previous ministry experiences. For about 10 years, we, had, we didn't get any raise. And it was tough. And we said, you know what? Once we get a raise, then we're going to tithe. And you know what? We never got a raise. And there's a principle behind that I'm going to talk about in just a sec. But you know what? One of the things, and th- this is something we started at one church about four years ago. You know, I don't, I don't have any cash. I never have cash. I had to borrow this from somebody. Kid you not. How many of y'all don't even own a checkbook? Let me see your hands. I don't have a checkbook, people. I just don't. We live in a checklist society, a paperless society, if you will. Let me tell you, the one thing that's helped my wife and I about this is something called e-give. And what, what we did is we decided about four years ago, okay, we went on to e-give, and we decided to do this at one church because with the offering bucket coming around, I never had cash, I never had checks, and, you know, we don't do any credit cards or anything like that. How are we going to do it? So it, we just did the automatic bank withdrawal. And it's free. It's, it's totally secure. You, can, you choose when you want to do it, how much. If you want to cancel it, you can do that. But you know what? We started doing that four years ago, and you know what? We haven't missed it. We, and, and this is not boasting myself up because for the first 16 years of our marriage, we failed miserably with tithing. We did. And I was in ministry all those 16 years. I mean, how hypocritical is that, right? But I'm telling you, it's, it's, it was God getting on our face saying, do you trust me? Not, do, is there going to be money left over? But no, do you trust me? And I'm like, ugh. And let me tell you what did it for us. And th- this is a great principle because, and with this, let me tell you, this three-month tithing challenge, this is how it's going to work. We're challenging you for the next three months. If you're willing to do this, you can go to the iPad kiosk. You click on the graphic. You can fill it out. Or if you're on version right now, you can fill it out right there. We're asking you to go, to go to eGive, set it up. And here's the gig. It's, it's, it's scary, I know. But you try it for 90 days. And if God hasn't blessed you, 
If you've not received some blessing for God, it may be financial, it may not. But if God hasn't blessed you, then we're going to give your money back. It's like a 90 money back guarantee, right? It's crazy. But you know what? God says, test me. So we're going to do that. Are you willing to take the test? Are you willing to put God to the test? Because it's his name on the line. Not mine. Not one church's. It's his. So I just, I think one of the things about, it, it just, it's about being obedient. As I close, how many of y'all, and I, just be real with me, I've been real with you. How many of y'all, you would like to have more money? Let me see your hands. Okay, you're not raising your hand. You're in church. You're lying. Just saying. I love you. We can talk later. One more time. How many of y'all want more money? All right. Here's the principle. I'm going to read you the last verse. Luke 16, verse 10. Jesus says this. Whoever is faithful in, what's the next word? Small matters will be faithful in. Whoever is dishonest in will be dishonest in. Come on, this is, y'all got to do this with me. If then you have not been faithful in handling, handling worldly wealth, how can you be trusted with true wealth? Here's the thing. If you and I want more money, then we have to be faithful with what we have already. And what kind of changed it with my boy Walt? He's 13 years old and he was a little bitty tyke. I remember, Dad, can I borrow a quarter? Sure, I'll give you a quarter. So I gave him a quarter. And 30 minutes later, he comes back and he lost a quarter. Dad, can I have a dollar bill? I'm like, excuse me? I look at him, I'm like, you can't have a dollar bill. You've not been faithful with a... Here's the thing. We've been asking God, God, give me a raise. God, give me that promotion. God, get me more. But we've not been faithful with what we've got. So is he... Is he really going to answer that prayer, the answer? No. No. So as we close, I'm going to answer a couple of your questions, and I'm so thankful you guys are texting these in. I just just want to say, you know what? I don't know what 2012 holds. But the one thing I do know, God is faithful. And I ask you to put him to the test. And if you don't like one church, okay, don't give to one church. This ain't about one church. Go to another church and give to that church. But put God to the test. It's about your faith and what has your heart. All right. Let me answer, actually answer some questions. Um, wow, there's a whole lot. Um, so I'll be quick. Is it 10% before or after taxes? That's a, <laughs> that, that's, that's a valid question. I got this question for service. And I'm just going to be honest with you. I don't think it matters that much. This is just my opinion. I, I'm not found this in the Bible. You know what Philippians says in 2 Corinthians? God loves a cheerful giver. So, you know what? I would just say, you know, that's between you and God. Before or after taxes, I don't think it matters. He does give us 10%. Now, some of you, this is not a question, but some of you are like, okay, I haven't done, I've been doing 0%. 10%, that's a big jump. In the 90-day tithe challenge, I'm just not ready to try it. Okay, that's cool. Start with 3%. All right? Just try God. Because here's the thing. If you try him, my God is faithful. He is faithful. All right, let me give you another one. How can you tithe 10% if you wouldn't have enough money left 
to pay bills? Great question. And, and I guess what I'm saying is this. You don't wait until after you pay the bills. Now, some of you are like, I don't think, I don't think we would be able to make it work. Try God. Let me tell you, this is something, is that um, Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, it says, bring all the tithes. If you do, test me, try me. When I, I remember reading that a, a few months ago, and it's like God saying, okay, God, Chris, you can give me 10%, and I can bless 90%. You can give me 10%, and I bless your 90%, or you can keep all 100%, and I'll curse it all. Well, I think I'll take the 90, Right? But, but that's what he's telling Israel. He's saying, listen, you guys say that you love me and all this stuff, but you've been stealing from me? And it's not that God's up in money like Hetty Green going, I need more money. It's nothing to do with that. God knows that this right here is tied to our heart. Matthew 6.33, you know that seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. I mean, he knows that this right here is attached to our hearts. So the question is what we're going to worship. Great, great question. Um, so I would just say tithe before and trust God that he will pay the bills because he will. All right. Um, first time we tithed 10% two weeks later, my husband got promoted. God blesses you when you tithe. Now I want to say that is exactly right. Let me tell you, sometimes you won't get promoted. You won't. Sometimes you may get laid off. So I'm not trying to think, you know, if you, this is like a hostage situation with your money with you and God. I don't know. I'm saying trust God, but let me tell you, he, he might bless you financially. He might bless you in other ways. You may have a child that's been, you know, been running away from God and he starts coming back because he's seen, your children are seeing that you've been faithful with the little that you have. Great, great. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Do we have to give exactly 10%? Again, the Bible gives that as the bar. And so I would say eventually I think you need to get there. But if you've not been tithing anything, just bump it up a few notches, right? Test God. Great question. All right. Uh, last, uh, last one. I have always tithed my 10% and seen firsthand how God has blessed me. Why is it that some people get upset that I happily give my 10%? Um, I don't know. I don't know. Um, and let me say this. This, is, this was not texted in as I close. I've got to get off stage. Let's say you're, you come to one church and your spouse doesn't. And you're like, okay, I want to tithe, but my spouse doesn't want me to. Um, if your husband doesn't come to one church and he doesn't want you to tithe, then I guess the thing I would encourage you to do is you need to follow his lead. You know, the Bible says submit to your husband. Let me tell you what submit means, right? Submit means, some of you all think bowing to your husband, okay? But think about this. Submit is you ducking so that when God swings, he hits your husband and not you. <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm just saying. All right? I'm serious. That's a great... Some of you ladies, you will always remember that definition of submission. I like that one. Well, there you go. And let me tell you, you submit to your husband and you say, baby, you know what? I think, I believe my God tells me to do this and I want to do this. If you say, I shouldn't do this and I'm going to follow, you, follow your lead, but I'm going to pray that God changes your heart. He just might. Last... I, want, I told you I was going to be the last one. Let me show you one other one. Because I feel like God's laying this on my heart. And this is not in my notes, so I'm going to have to look it up. It's in 2 Peter uh, chapter 3, uh, verse 1, I believe is what it is. Uh, I'll take that back. It's 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1. And some of you, 
If your spouse isn't coming, your spouse doesn't care anything about God, I want you to hear this verse. It says this, In the same way, you wives must accept the authority of your husbands. Then, even if some refuse to obey the good news, that's what we're talking about, your godly lives will speak to them without any words. God's not calling you to nag your husband. Do I have a a husband in here saying, I agree. He said, your godly lives will speak to them without any words, and they will be won over by observing your pure and reverent lives. Submit to your husband, and God will get him. Let's pray.